William Shakespeare is unanimously considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, playwrights of all time. With a corpus of nearly 200 works, consisting of both plays and poems, he's one of the most influential writers in the English language. Yet even he had to seek inspiration from somewhere, one of the sources of which might surprise you. The time in which the Bard, as he's come to affectionately be called, enjoyed his most productive period is known as the Renaissance, or Rebirth in French. The Rebirth in question, which took place in England from the mid-15th through the early 17th centuries, was a revival in the interest and study of ancient Greek and Roman cultures. Subjects like philosophy, theater, and sculpture were studied with great enthusiasm and came to influence all aspects of life. Shakespeare, likely being a learned man of means, wouldn't have been impervious to this cultural shift. On the contrary, it's clear from the works he left behind that he embraced it wholeheartedly, having read the classic Greek and Roman dramatists like Euripides, Aeschylus, and Plautus. But what if I told you that one of his biggest inspirations was a Roman playwright of African origin? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and today we'll be taking a look at the life and times of Publius Terentius Afer, better known in the English-speaking world as Terence, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. In Western theater, black and African voices are nothing new. Legends such as Lorraine Hansberry, August Wilson, and even Langston Hughes have all contributed to the medium of playwriting, especially in the United States. But there was a time in Europe when such voices weren't heard, largely because they hadn't been introduced to society at large. There were, of course, exceptions to this rule, one of whom is the subject of today's episode, though it's important to note that he lived long before the aforementioned playwrights ever set pen to paper, or for that matter, long before they even existed. Publius Terentius Afer's date of birth has been the subject of great debate amongst historians, not just in recent years, but going all the way back to antiquity. The Roman historian Fenestella placed his year of birth at what we now date as 195 BC. Aelius Donatus, on the other hand, who wrote an early, albeit incomplete, biography on Terence, known as the Commentum Terenti, posited 185 BC as his birth year. As Terence was ultimately brought to Rome as a slave, scant evidence of his early and formative years has survived to the present. With that in mind, modern historians generally agree that he was born sometime in the 10-year period between 195 BC and 185 BC. At the time of his birth, the Roman Republic was taking the first tentative steps towards its imperialistic ambitions, which would ultimately result in the formation of the empire a century later. Prior to this, Rome was a sleepy backwater along the Tiber River in central Italy, a collection of villages based around an ancient, formerly Etruscan city. Having been embroiled in the Punic War since the mid-3rd century BC, the power play between Rome and the North African city-state of Carthage resulted in a tug-of-war of sorts of land and domination over North Africa and its southern European environs. This was the era of Hannibal, the great Carthaginian general and military strategist, the only man whom Rome feared. Naturally, in the skirmishes between these two powers, prisoners of war and slaves were taken by both sides. It was in this hullabaloo that a young African was brought to Rome as a captive. You might be asking, but how do we know for sure that Terence was African? Well, for starters, there's his surname, which serves as a tantalizing clue. Afer is, in fact, a place name, a reference to the land of the Afri, a Berber tribe known to the Romans who inhabited what's now Libya. There are problems with this, however, as the term Afer was used to refer to any African of non-Carthaginian descent or ancestry during the Roman Republican period. While this cognomen, the third name given to Roman citizens, doesn't specify where exactly in Africa he was from, it does for certain indicate it as his land of origin, and while he may not necessarily have been of the Afri tribe, he most certainly was indeed of Berber heritage. 
No sooner had this fit and able-bodied young man, later described as, quote, of moderate height, slender, and dark complexion, unquote, by the historian Suetonius, been brought to the slave market in Rome was he sold to a senator by the name of Publius Terentius Lucanus. As a slave, Terence wouldn't have been able to hold any rights. Those were reserved solely for Roman citizens and freemen. As such, he was the property of his master, and could neither purchase property of his own, nor legally marry. The life of a slave in those days was far from easy, as they were often subject to physical and verbal abuse, and were responsible for all the proverbial dirty work of keeping a clean house, or domus, as the Romans called it. However, despite his newfound station as a stranger in a strange land, Terence was, for all intents and purposes, treated quite kindly by Lucanus. The senator not only afforded him an education, a rare occurrence for a slave in those days, but ultimately freed him, largely due to the great aptitude, ability, and intelligence he displayed from the get-go. Under Lucanus's tutelage and care, he was first exposed to the great ancient playwrights, most notably the Roman Plautus, and began developing his own unique style. Upon gaining his freedom, he adopted the name of Terentius as a tribute to his former master. His born name, sadly, has been lost to us. Thus he would go down in history as Terence. As a freeman, he was granted the full rights of a Roman citizen, and used his newfound status to his advantage. He began his literary career by joining the Circle of Scipio, or the Scipionic Circle, an organization of philosophers, poets, and politicians founded and led by the renowned general and statesman Scipio Aemilianus, who met regularly to discuss Greek literature and culture, as well as the earliest form of humanist philosophy in existence. It was here that Terence rubbed elbows with some of the biggest and most influential writers of the day, and began penning some of his most famous plays. Like his fellow Roman playwright Plautus, who died around the time of his birth, Terence turned to Greek theater and literature for inspiration. But unlike Plautus, who relied heavily on physical comedy and used the sophisticated literary Latin of the day in his dialogue, Terence used wit and wordplay in a light, conversational form of spoken Latin that changed Roman satirical comedy forever. His characterizations were later described by Aelius Donatus as tighter than those of Plautus, and more fully developed. In his short life, he wrote six plays, each of which was written before he turned 25. They are, in chronological order of their composition, Andria, or the girl from Andros, Hecura, or the mother-in-law, Heoton Timorumenos, the self-tormentor, Eunuchus, the eunuch, Formio, and Alderfoe, the brothers. While he wouldn't see as much popularity during his lifetime as he'd enjoy posthumously, his work was nevertheless met with enthusiasm by both the public and his fellow writers. Sometime in or around his 25th year, Terence embarked on a trip to Greece to gather material for his new play. As he hadn't been before, he was quite looking forward to the experience. He disembarked from the old port in Rome, and was never seen or heard from again. To this day, historians remain divided as to what exactly befell him. As no records of any shipwrecks from the period have survived to the present, it's unclear as to whether he perished at sea or after succumbing to some sort of disease, the exposure to which wasn't all that uncommon in those days. Traveling of any sort was far more perilous in antiquity than it was today, as unpaved roads were treacherous and in some places could be chock full of bandits, just waiting to rob any unsuspecting persons. While each of these theories is purely conjectural at this point, the most likely possibility is that he died at sea at the age of 25, having penned only six plays. With Terence's mysterious disappearance, combined with the eventual collapse of the Roman Empire in the late 5th century, it's a wonder and a miracle that his work survived at all. 
Indeed, after the fall of Rome in or around AD 476, his plays were thought to be lost until a series of manuscripts, written in the playwright's own hand, fell into the possession of the Catholic Church. Known as the Codex Bembinus, it was written entirely in capital letters and is considered to be the oldest surviving Latin language manuscript. It contains each of Terence's six plays and has been kept within the Vatican Library's collection since the medieval period. Another later manuscript, this one dating back to the 9th century, was edited by one Calliopus and is referred to was the Calliopian Codex. Unlike the Bembinus, this one was written in lowercase or minuscule letters, and also contains each of the six plays. It too is housed within the Vatican Library. It's largely from these two collections of manuscripts that all subsequent copies of Terence's work are based, and it's likely one of said copies that eventually landed in Shakespeare's own personal library, providing him much inspiration for his own comedies. While the stories and characters contained within the plays are pagan, that is, pre-Christian, they nevertheless were performed quite frequently throughout the medieval period and Renaissance, as the witty language and situations contained universal themes that continued to resonate with audiences and the public long after Rome's collapse. As such, they were frequently copied within the various scriptoria scattered throughout Western Europe, and are the primary reason why they've survived to the present day. Over the centuries, they've proven quite influential, not just for playwrights like Shakespeare, but also writers like Dante Alighieri and Giovanni Boccaccio, philosophers such as Michel Montaigne, and even statesmen like the American founding father and second president of the United States, John Adams, who famously wrote in a letter to his son and future president John Quincy Adams, quote, Terence is remarkable for good morals, good taste, and good Latin. His language has simplicity and an elegance that make him proper to be accurately studied as a model, unquote. Not a bad testimonial. As Terence originally hailed from Africa, he has since become a towering literary figure of sorts within the African diaspora, popular amongst a wide variety of people from various disciplines, including Professor Juan Latino, a 16th century Spaniard of Ethiopian descent, the African-American poets Phyllis Wheatley, Langston Hughes, and Maya Angelou, as well as the 19th century mixed Afro-Caribbean French novelist Alexandre Dumas. Two of his plays have been performed at theater festivals in Denver, Colorado, featuring all-black casts, and his work continues to find new fans from all walks of life right up to contemporary times. While he may not have garnered as much popularity during his lifetime as he has posthumously, I think he'd be rather pleased with the legendary status that's been bestowed upon him. Thank you for listening. As Shakespeare once said, the play's the thing, but I think it's clear that for his comedies, anyway, Terence was the thing. Terence's influence on Western theater and literature in general cannot be underestimated, as he provided successive generations of both playwrights and writers with enough inspiration to supply an entire library of books. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support this podcast to ensure continued content, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will redirect you to three monthly support plans that fit your budget. If one needs testimonials, just hear what Dave Pollard of Toronto, Ontario has to say. Hugely informative, educational, and fascinating. Thanks, Dave. Listening and sharing also help in big ways, so please do so wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in again next week for a not-so-lovely Valentine's Day experience that rocked Chicago nearly a century ago, only on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off for now. See you next time. 